I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Bandwagon Podcast. This is episode 25. I'm your co-host, Sam Thoman, joined as usual by Zach Folly. Zach, how are you doing on this fine day? I'm doing great, man. A couple days here until Christmas. It's been, I tell you, it's been a great couple weeks for sports. NBA started up again last night. We got college basketball in full swing right now. It feels like there's sports on all day, every day right now. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not complaining about that. I could get used to it. Yeah, yesterday I started watching opening day of the NBA uh, season. That was super exciting. We, we've got a lot of Mac stuff to get to, so we'll just jump straight into that. Uh, Zach, we got a couple bowl games that we need to get into. Yeah, yeah, certainly. It is bowl season is upon us. Uh, it seems like it's kind of snuck up on us this year. It's been such a weird year. The bowl games are starting just a couple days after the regular season ended. But uh, yeah, Ball State and Buffalo, the participants of the uh, the MAC championship game last Friday, they both did receive bowl bids, and and I know that they're both um, very very happy about that. Ball State heading back to a bowl game for the first time since the 2013-2014 season. They will be taking on uh, the San Jose State Spartans, the champions of the Mountain West, uh, on uh, New Year's Eve in the Arizona Bowl. But uh, San Jose State, one of the few remaining unbeaten teams in the country right now. They're 7-0 after knocking off Boise State in a 34-20 victory in the Mountain West Championship game. Honestly, Sam, I feel like uh, these two teams here are two of the better stories in college football this season. Neither neither team had many uh, people from the outside with high expectations for them this season. Uh, This is Ball State's first bowl appearance since 2013, as I mentioned, and the first for the Spartans since 2015. Both programs have gone through some lean years here over the last few uh, seasons, so it's nice to be able to see uh, both of them get a a shot at a bowl game this year. Yeah, as you mentioned, San Jose State's just come out of nowhere. We obviously have talked about Ball State uh, a lot, so we know all, all about their kind of resurgent. But yeah, San Jose State, one of the tougher opponents. I was... I was I was shocked. I even I think I even had Boise State winning the Mountain West Championship game, so I didn't even expect San Jose State to win it. But credit to them, this should be an exciting game for both Ball State and San Jose State, two uh, programs just trying to make their name known. San Jose State ranked twenty uh, second in the AP pool, so this should be a fun one, a New Year's Eve um, classic, I want to say. And yeah, I'm I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, so am I. And a big game for Ball State in terms of their program history. Uh, They are one of only eight FBS programs that have never won a bowl game. Uh, Ball State with seven previous appearances, and they've lost all seven of them. Uh, The last of them being in the uh, the GoDaddy Bowl back in the 2013-2014 season where they lost to Arkansas State 23-20. So uh, certainly a, a big opportunity for the Cardinals here on a national stage to, to get a, a big win against a, a solid program here. So um, we know uh, Ball State fans and MAC fans in general are going to be excited for that game. 
The second uh, ball, uh, excuse me, the second Mac uh, bowl game this year is going to be the aforementioned Buffalo Bulls. Obviously, they're coming off of a little bit of a disappointment in, in the Mac championship game last Friday, but they still get themselves a, a good ball, uh, a good bowl game here, taking on Conference USA runner-up Marshall in the Camellia Bowl on Christmas Day. Marshall enters that game with a seven and two record overall. Uh, four and one in Conference USA. Uh, we just talked, Sam, about Ball State with the opportunity to get their first bowl win in school history. Well, Buffalo just got their first bowl win in school history last year um, when they blew out Charlotte in the Bahamas Bowl. Uh, again, that was their first postseason victory they've ever had as a Division One program. So they're looking to uh, to build upon that. Uh, the Camellia Bowl this year. Another opportunity for the Bulls on a national stage. It is the only bowl game on Christmas Day, a standalone game at 2.30 on ESPN, uh, taking place down in Montgomery, Alabama. I'll tell you what, Sam, I don't know about you, but this is a, this is a solid matchup with, against a good team for the Bulls. No doubt. I think even even if uh, what which we'll talk about later, how Buffalo lost to this game, a a nice bowl victory against a solid Marshall team wouldn't be a disappointment. Wouldn't be a disappointment in my mind. You got Marshall coming in at a seven and two record. Definitely a respectable opponent. Probably not. I wouldn't say as good as San Jose State. But if you can get a win down in Montgomery, if you're if you're a Buffalo Bulls fan. You, you definitely have to be um, happy about this, how, how this season turned out. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, all, honestly, I think Buffalo here uh, is in a good spot, too. I mean, they're obviously going to be motivated and want to prove themselves after kind of laying an egg in, in the in the MAC championship game last Friday. They're also catching Marshall at a, at a bad time. Marshall, if you recall, they started the season 7-0 and and were actually ranked in the top 20, but they've lost their last two games. They lost their season finale against Rice, uh, 20 to nothing. They were upset where starting quarterback uh, through five interceptions and then uh, also kind of got upset by UAB in a game that they were favored in 22-13 in the Conference USA Championship game. So you'd like to think that Buffalo can take advantage of this matchup and pick up a win here. Uh, obviously, we're gonna have to wait and see for Christmas Day. But yeah, I think um, both of these games here, Sam, set up to be very competitive games, good games for the Mac. I think it would have been awesome to be able to see them take on, uh, you know, power five team or, or, you know, someone from the AAC or something like that. But with uh, everything that's going on with bowl games being canceled with, with, uh, you know, teams opting out and stuff like that. I think both of these teams are just thankful to be able to get bowl invitations. And I know as a Mac fan, I'm thankful that we're, we're able to get to watch both of these teams one more time. No doubt. And some good, a good news I'm reading is UB football expects Jarrett Patterson to be available for the community bowl. We saw him got hurt late in that third quarter of that Mac championship game. So that's some good news for some Bulls fan, but yeah, Zach, I, I think you uh, said it perfectly. Like we've seen the, the chaos that's gone on with army football, not being able to get a bowl game. I think these two programs, not only Buffalo, but Ball State are just happy to get anybody at this point. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, it's crazy, Sam. I love college football as much as anyone. I love bowl games, but not to get off subject here and go on a rant, but I just some of the teams that are getting bowl games this year because other teams are opting out and stuff like that. You know, I, I was watching the Myrtle Beach Bowl the other day, Appalachian State against North Texas. North Texas was four and five going into mm -hmm. that game. And then whenever I watch that game, there's no way North Texas should have been in a bowl game this year. I mean, Appalachian State just absolutely ran them off the field. Sorry, I'm ranting now. I just not not to get up on my soapbox or anything. I just I feel like um, these two games specifically I'm excited for because these are teams that earned it. These are teams that are they're worthy of being in bowl games. And I hope that both games live up to their billing.
Yeah, I was, uh, Zach, to, to kind of be- piggyback off, you have a Western Michigan team sitting out there at four and two, a respectable opponent that would have, I think, at least given Appalachian State night. I, I, who, who knows if they would have even beaten them, but at least give them a run for their money. You mentioned the just, just blowout that happened in that bowl game. Like, I didn't watch it because I knew what was going to happen. I think the spread was like by like three scores or four yeah. scores. Like, yeah, like I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. So we'll see. I, like I said, I think you've got, we got a couple good games here coming up over the next few days and I'm, I'm excited for these Mac games. So we'll, we'll have to see uh, if Buffalo can bounce back from uh, their, their game on Friday and uh, we'll see if the ball state can build on the momentum they've, they've cultivated here over the last month or so. No doubt. And moving on for that bold news, we got, we've got quite a few central Michigan news. If you want to uh, touch on those, Zach. Yeah, certainly. So uh, the first one here, um, I'd say all of this is good news for Central Michigan, but the first story here to touch upon uh, something that we talked about a little bit last week, Sam, is the ongoing saga with uh, David Moore and his uh, ongoing suspension uh, with the, the NCAA. So he had an appeal hearing uh, last Wednesday, the 16th, and um, it turns out that he did, in fact, win that appeal with the NCAA. So he will be eligible um, for the 2021 season uh, if he follows the protocol that the NCAA is, gives him, right? So um, to catch anyone up on this story, he was initially suspended in October of 2019 uh, for testing positive for a, a performance-enhancing substance, which he said came from an over-the-counter the um, supplement that he got from like GNC. Uh, he had a second positive test in October, which kept him suspended for this season. And um, if he would have lost this appeal last week, then his eligibility for 2021 would have would would have been taken away and his college career would have been over. He did, however, again, uh, win the appeal. And it looks like the, he won the appeal because, um, according to the NCAA, the science is relatively limited uh, on this type of stuff. And David Moore did maintain that, you know, he quit taking the substance after his initial positive test, but it still showed up in his system. So um, anyway, it, for uh, for Central Michigan fans, I know they're they're excited to to potentially have him back next year. We're excited for him as well. It's been an ongoing story, a long dragged out story. So it's nice to be able to see David Moore get a resolution here and, and be able to move forward. And before we touch on this further, Zach, I this this has the makings to be out at. at uh, we have another news story. It looks like Central Michigan may be in for a QB battle next year. Yeah, you're right, and uh, right on the heels. Of, uh, of David Moore announcing that he's going to have his eligibility back next year if he meets certain stipulations. Um, Jacob Sermon, who was a, uh, a quarterback for the Washington Huskies in the Pac-12, um, he announced on Friday that he would be transferring to Central Michigan. He was a former four-star quarterback, uh, four-star recruit for the Huskies. So he's um, expected to transfer right away and be eligible right away. So it is going to be interesting to see the quarterback battle in Mount Pleasant uh, come, you know, fall camp this coming August, whether it's going to be Sermon or Daniel Richardson, who started most of the year this year, and then David Moore is going to be uh, back in uh, back in play as well. So um, you never know. Uh, Sermon's one of those guys that got recruited to Washington, and they just, you know, the, the QB room there is, is quite crowded. So he never got really an extended opportunity there. Wanted to find somewhere where he could get some additional playing time. Ended up settling on uh, Central Michigan coming to play for Coach McElwain, which I know a lot of uh, that's, you know, that's a selling point for, for a lot of folks. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, Sam. 
Yeah, I, I think this is kind of reminiscent of the Ohio situation from a year ago. You have a, a big-time guy coming in and Armani Rodgers kind of battling Curtis Rourke, and we know how that turned out with Curtis Rourke winning the job, clearly looking like the better guy, which I don't know if, if this case, who, who will end up the starting quarterback because it just was announced. But, yeah, this is going to be definitely interesting to watch coming out of Mount Pleasant. You have a – a really solid starter in David Moore, who we all thought would be the starter coming in this season. He definitely earned it. He obviously didn't get a play, unfortunately. And now he's got a contest with a former four-star who, who, who was a pretty solid prospect coming out of high school. So it'll be interesting to follow who ends up winning this job. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, you look up Jacob Sermon. I mean, this is a guy in two years at Washington, um, only through four passes, he, he had a couple rushing here. So very limited time at Washington. He never really got to see the field, which, you know, I think that's probably why he's he's transferring. But this is a guy that was, you know, he was a true sophomore this past year. And this year obviously isn't counting for eligibility right now. So he's going to come into Central Michigan as a sophomore next year, potentially with three years of eligibility um, to, to earn that job. So it's it could be, you know, if this plays out well here for the, the, the Chippewas, they could potentially have their starter here for next three years. Um, again, he's going to have to beat out David Moore, and Daniel Richardson, but uh, someone as a former four-star recruit coming in uh, from the West Coast, he'd like to think he'll have an opportunity uh, to win the starting job there. Uh, and also uh, in, uh, in Mount Pleasant, some other transfer news, um, former Michigan State linebacker Marcel Lewis announced the other day that he would be transferring to, uh, to Central Michigan as well. Um, now, Marcel had initially opted out of the 2020 season. Um, and then he opted back in uh, as the season began. He only played in uh, in one game for the uh, the Spartans this year as a freshman. So he's going to come in uh, to Central Michigan as a, as a young player looking to help out that defense. And again, this is a guy very limited playing time, not a ton of stats at Michigan State, but another formerly highly regarded recruit that Michigan State was really excited about. I think the, the different coaching staff coming in in the offseason last year probably um, you know, you might see some other guys from, from Michigan State transferring out here because of that. But um, it'll be interesting to see if, how he, he's able to come in and help the defense in, uh, in Mount Pleasant. Yeah, I mean, I think this just helps Central Michigan in a lot of ways. Depth, -ish, depth for one. Uh, we, we saw how good this Central Michigan defense is. I think that's one of the bright spots we saw. They had a solid linebacker in Troy Brown. We obviously know about him. And that defensive line was just so good. That I think this is a great in-state kind of transfer that will help uh, Central Michigan. He's got a lot of eligibility left. Uh, you got Troy Brown, who's a who's a junior, uh, potentially leaving either this year or next year. So, with that being said, uh, I think getting uh, Marcel Lewis is definitely a solid find for Central Michigan. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, you look back to uh, his high school days and his recruitment. Um, this is a guy who's a three-star prospect in the class of 2019. He was the 23rd rated player in the state of Michigan. And he's one of those guys who had it offers not only from uh, from Michigan State and Indiana, but also pretty much every Mac school. So anytime you can get a player of that caliber uh, and beat out some of your, your your Mac counterparts, that's certainly a win. So, uh, yeah, some some good stuff happening in central Michigan uh, this past week for, for uh, the Chippewas and uh, certainly some things for uh, for Chippewa fans to be excited about. No doubt. And, and to move on to some kind of uh, kind of bad news for some Miami, Ohio fans, we actually have 
So uh, one one player declaring for the NFL draft and Emmanuel Ragamba, and then two Danny Gozlowski, your center, uh, deciding to transfer to Oklahoma State. Yeah, so um, I don't think Manny Rugamba uh, declaring for the draft is is too surprising for anyone. This is a guy who's been an all-MAC performer for a couple of years now, probably a guy that's going to be a mid-round NFL pick. I know when it comes to, um, you know, talking about projections for the next level and, and, you know, potential for the next level, he's one of those guys that has the athleticism, a former transfer from Iowa, uh, has that high level athleticism. And I know I've seen him graded out as a mid, you know, mid to late round draft pick. So I don't think too many uh, folks were, were um, surprised about that. On the other side of this, you mentioned um, starting center, Danny Godlewski uh, entering the transfer portal. He actually committed to Oklahoma State um, as a graduate transfer. So he's going to have one year of eligibility left for the Cowboys. Um, this is a guy who appeared in 40 games and made 37 starts over the last four seasons for Miami of Ohio. He's a three-time All-Mac third-team honoree uh, at 6'3", 300 pounds. And uh, he um, missed all but one game in 2017. But other than that, he's been a very, very productive uh, player for the Red Hawks. So um, tough to see him go. It'll be interesting to see how many uh, guys are going to do this this offseason and, and use that extra year of eligibility and grad transfer and go and play somewhere else. I think in his um, case here and Danny's case here probably wanted to step up a little bit in competition and see how he holds up similar to how Tony Poljan uh, transferred from Central Michigan to Virginia this past offseason. Yeah I think you mentioned the uh, main Oregamba news not surprising I believe he's one of the Red Hawks that opted out before the Mac decided to play so again this isn't a whole lot surprising I think Danny goes Gozlowski was the more surprising one um, he's going to bigger and better things at Oklahoma State with this final year. But I think Red Hawk fans, you have to be a little bit a little bit worried because the amount of talent you have there, the amount of uh, NFL talent you have, there there may be a few guy, few more guys opting out. So I think as a Red Hawks fan, it's it's gonna be up to those young guys coming up to to replace guys like Rugamba and uh, Gislevsky. Because I know uh, Brett Gabbard said he's returning next year for 2021. So that's obviously good news. But yeah, I, th I think out of uh, Miami, Ohio, there's going to be, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's probably going to be a few more people opting yeah. to transfer. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that um, that goes moving forward. And, and I think you're exactly right, Sam. And, and we'll obviously we'll talk about recruiting a little bit more later in this episode. But I think if, if I'm Chuck Barton and that recruiting staff or that staff in general down there in Oxford, I think offensive line and defensive, you know, set the secondary are certainly a couple areas of emphasis for recruiting moving forward. No doubt. And uh, to move on from that news, we got uh, the Mac actually announced their uh, football all Mac teams and specialty awards news. We'll cover the uh, specialty awards a little bit later. We decided to do our a uh, little bit of our own award ceremony, uh, say who we think should should have gotten each award. Essentially, we have a few similar similarities with the uh, actual list, but yeah, but back on the uh, uh, back on the teams, we're just going to run through the first team. If you want to check out the second or third teams, you can on the get some action website. You can check it all there. It's all there, but uh, we're just going to cover the first team offense, first team defense, and first team specialists. We're going to give a little bit of breakdown of the season. Uh, each player that received the first team offense, defense, and special teams have. So if you want to take it away, Zach, with the first name on the list. Yeah, sure. So uh, looking at our uh, all-MAC first team offense here, 
I don't think there's any surprises on this one, Sam. Going to go with Dustin Crum of Kent State. I think we all knew coming into the season this year that he was going to be one of the better players in the conference, and uh, he did not disappoint this year. Uh, you know, unfortunately for for MAC fans and for Kent State fans, uh, Kent State only made it through four games. They didn't get to complete their full six game season, but still, Dustin Crum led the conference in total offense. Uh, with 1,181 pass yards and 248 rush or 240 rush yards, add that up to over 350 yards per game. He was uh, led the league in passing yards per game at 295.2. He was second in passing efficiency. Uh, this is a guy that does it all, Sam. And, you know, him announcing that he's coming back next year. I know Golden Flash fans are very, very excited about that. Um, you know, he, this is a guy we talked about a ton in the preseason, Sam. He certainly lived up to his billing this year. Yeah, we talk we talk about him a lot. I think everybody that listens to the show and watches the Mac knows how good he is. I'm not sure there's much to say on that. But moving to the offensive line of the ball, there I don't think there's any surprise that Buffalo got two O linemen on the list. I mean, you look at the just statistical success they had, averaged 47.8 yards per game, second uh, behind uh, Kent State, uh, second in total offense with 509 yards um, a game. Uh, uh, 395, 309 yards of offense per game. Uh, yeah, just, I mean, Jared Patterson, that, that's all you really need to say that when you look at the amount of success, uh, Buffalo's offenses had this season, there's not much more to say than that. Yeah, I agree. And, and honestly, I mean, Keode Awasika and Mike Nowitzki from Buffalo certainly, certainly deserved it. I, I agree with you, Sam. I was surprised there wasn't more than two, two Buffalo offensive linemen on the first team just because of how dominant they were in the run game this year. But, but to, to round out the offensive line group with Tommy Doyle from Miami, Bryce Harris from Toledo, and Mike Caliendo from Western Michigan, that's certainly, you know, you're not going to take anything away from those guys. Those are the three very solid performers in the MAC this year. Tommy Doyle was one of those guys that opted out before the season began for Miami and ended up opting back in when the MAC uh, opted to start playing again. I think he's a guy who you'll see get drafted this year in the NFL draft in one of the later rounds. Um, so yeah, a, a solid group there, but I think you're exactly right, Sam. You look at the success that Buffalo had running the ball and the success that Jared Patterson and Kevin Marks had this year. No surprise that they had multiple, uh, multiple selections on the offensive line. Um, at, at tight end, Sam, we had Quentin Morris from Bowling Green. Quentin, one of the, one of the bright spots, uh, one of the few bright spots for Bowling Green this season uh, in, you know, as, as they went 0-5 and, and really didn't have a, a ton of success on offense. But Quentin Morris did prove to, uh, to, to again, be a solid, uh, a solid target for Matt McDonald, 20 receptions for 248 yards. He did not have a touchdown reception, but, again, that's, you know, there wasn't much of that to go around for the, the Falcons this year. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Quentin Morris, as you, as you say, one of the bright, uh, bright spots for this uh, Falcons offense. And now we move on to the wide receivers list. We've got four. We've got Justin Alfram, uh, Ball State, Isaiah McCoy from Kent State, Tyrese Rishi from Northern Illinois, Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan. I mean, that that's just a solid list all around. I don't think we can take anything away from that list. I've been high on Tyrese Ritchie for the past few weeks. Isaiah McCoy's a stud, as we all know, one of uh, Dustin Crumb's favorite targets who recently announced for the draft. Justin Hall going to be playing in the bowl game for Ball State. We know how electric he can be. And then Dwayne Eskridge, who, who's just a all-around electric stud for Western Michigan. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I'm really happy to see Tyrese Ritchie on this list. 
I think these other guys we've talked a lot about, everyone knows about Isaiah McCoy and, and, and Justin Hall. Um, but I, I was, yeah, I was really excited to see uh, Tyrese Ritchie because obviously Northern Illinois did not have a great season this season, but Tyrese Ritchie was one of the, the consistent performers on that team that you knew was going to show up every week, led the Mac in receptions this year with 53 he did have 597 yards and, and four touchdowns. So I was glad to see that. Um, these other guys, though, as far as, yeah, Isaiah McCoy, Dwayne Eskridge, Justin Hall, you can't take anything away from them. I think they're three of the most dynamic athletes in the MAC right now. I wouldn't be surprised to see all three of those guys playing on Sunday at some point in some capacity. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you can't take anything away uh, from any of them. I know uh, Eskridge led the league in reception yards per game at 131. Tyrese led the, Richie led the league in receptions per game. Uh, Isaiah McCoy was up there in, in the top three in every, pretty much every category, um, top four in every category. So yeah, you can what can you say about these guys? I mean, there's been, a, there were a lot of points in the Mac this year and guys like this were the reason why. Yeah, no doubt. And we've got two running backs next. We've uh, we've got, I, I don't think anybody's surprised in Jared Patterson coming from Buffalo. We all know the year he's had. I don't think there's much more to say about that. And then we've actually got an Akron name on this list, Tion Dollard coming from Akron for the running back spot. You know, I um, I was a little bit surprised to see Tion Dollard on this on the first team. Uh, I'm not complaining about that at all I think he certainly deserved it I, I think if we were going to pick like a breakout player of the year in the MAC this year I think Tion Dollar would be it he was second in the conference with 666 rushing yards he had six rushing touchdowns he averaged 111 rushing yards per game I think probably Sam if if Caleb Huntley plays a full season he's probably the second running back on this list I think you could also make uh make a case for Demontre Tuggle from uh from Ohio and, and maybe, you know, Brian Kobach from uh, from Toledo as well. Honestly, you could probably also make a uh, case for Kevin Marks and have both Buffalo running backs on this list. But I'm not going to complain about Tion Dollard getting here. I, I've talked a lot about him this this year. I think he's been one, one of the, the big bright spots for Akron this season. I think moving forward, he's going to become a really, really good running back for them. He already is, but I can see him improving even more next season. So I can't complain too much about him being on this list. But again, I think if Caleb Huntley plays a full season, he's probably the second first team running back here. Yeah, I think I think as you mentioned, it comes down to games played. Ohio also only had uh, three games played, or whatever That's true. the deal yeah. was. So I think whether it's Caleb Huntley playing a full season or Ohio playing a full season, you may see a different guy at the spot. But Tion Dollard by no means did anything wrong to not deserve the first team spot. He did all he could for that Akron team, and uh, he's definitely a stud out there. But yeah, I think it just comes down to games played. But uh, Tion Dollard definitely deserving of the first team uh, offense award. No doubt. And then uh, to round out the first team uh, offense uh, at place kicker, we had Marshall Meter from uh, Central Michigan. Freshman for Central Michigan stepped in, went uh, eight for eight on field goals this year, 16 for 17 on extra points. Uh, his season-long field goal, 53. So 100% accuracy on, uh, on field goals of the season-long at 53. Not a bad freshman campaign for Marshall Meter. I mean, I mean, coming from a Ball State fan, we've seen the 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 struggles that a freshman kicker has had. So, I mean, I can't take anything away from Marshall Meter. He's definitely been one of the bright spots for that Central Michigan offense as uh, that just kind of dwindled out over these past few weeks with injuries and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, I think Marshall Meter definitely deserving of this uh, first team All Mac award. Yeah, no doubt at all, no doubt at all. So, uh, moving on to uh, to the defense. 
uh, first team all defense. Um, some, some great names on this list as well. Uh, we'll start with the outside linebackers, Anthony Ekpe from Ball State and, and Troy Brown from Central Michigan. Everyone knows about, you know, Troy Brown from, from Central Michigan. I mean, this is a guy that uh, has had a great year. He's, he's been a, a great performer for, uh, for the Chippewas for, for quite some time. So um, I don't think anyone's surprised about these two selections here, Sam. Yeah, I, I know for uh, for me as a Ball State fan watching Anthony Ekpe transfer in and have the amount of success he's had this season, it was definitely surprising. He's been one of the bright spots on this uh, defense uh, along with Brandon Martin, et cetera. But yeah, Troy Brown, definitely a stud. Anthony Ekpe has been a solid addition for us this season. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, Troy Brown finishing the season – uh, 42 tackles, uh, forced fumble. This is a guy who's been really good, the junior for Central Michigan, but really good for a long time. Inside linebacker, you have Brandon Martin from Ball State, who you mentioned, and then James Patterson from uh, from Buffalo, uh, the, the the brother of Justin Patterson, um, or uh, Jarrett Patterson, excuse me, the brother of Jarrett Patterson. Brandon Martin from Ball State, obviously, uh, was the co-defensive player, one of the co-defensive players of the year. I don't think it's any surprise to see him here on the on the first list. And, you know, he had himself another good game against Buffalo on Friday night. I don't think anybody will argue with either of these, these two guys being included. I mean, Zach, uh, when you look at how, like, I, I think it's just amazing to see both brothers on a first team defense not to mention they're on the same football team not to mention that they are both starters but they're both studs I mean you have James Patterson not a lot of people know his name because he's obviously overshadowed by his brother but James Patterson by no means is a just a a lower class player no I I agree completely I mean this is a guy that uh finished the season with with 43 tackles uh, really led this uh, this defense for Buffalo. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I got that wrong. 54 tackles, excuse me, you include the, the bowl game. He had an interception, two passes defended, uh, a couple of sacks. I mean, this is a guy uh, that really was a game changer uh, from the outside linebacker position for Buffalo. I think I think it's I, I could easily see both Patterson brothers playing on Sunday at some point in some capacity. And then with Brandon Martin, uh, really just kind of the heart and soul of that defense for, for the Cardinals. So uh, not surprised to see him either. Um, when you come, when you look at the D linemen on this list here, Sam, um, you got Malcolm Coons from Buffalo, who we've talked about before, Ralph Hawley from Western Michigan, and then two, um, two representatives from Central Michigan, Troy Harrison II and Mohamed Diallo, uh, both on there for the Chippewas. And I know the defensive line for Central Michigan is something that we talked about specifically uh, after the Ball State Central Michigan game a few weeks ago, where you had mentioned that the defensive line was in the backfield all day, really causing problems for the Cardinals. And so, you know, Troy Harrison and Mohamed Diallo, obviously two big reasons for that. Yeah, Troy Harrison, I believe, being the other uh, co-defensive player for the Mac, so he's definitely deserving on this list. But yeah, Central Michigan uh, just had a stellar defensive line. They were getting in the backfield. We talked about a little bit earlier with their addition on the linebacker side, so their defense looks even tougher for next year. Uh, we all know who Malcolm Kuntz is. He he was a big reason, not just this past season, Buffalo's defense having a, a solid year, but the year before, getting getting them that bowl victory. He, I believe he was the bowl game MVP as well. So Malcolm Coots, definitely a well-known uh, commodity in the MAC. Yeah, no doubt. And you know what, Sam, as I was just looking at um, at Mohamed Diallo from Central Michigan, 
perhaps some some news here that Chippewa fans won't be too excited about is that it looks like just here in the last uh, 12 hours or so, Mohamed Diallo put his name into the transfer portal. Uh, and it looks like so he is going to be going somewhere else to finish his college career next year. So uh, perhaps a bit of breaking news here on the podcast today, Sam, <laughs> as uh, yeah, this uh, this article on 24 seven sports was just posted 11 hours ago. So he just literally did this within the last day or so. Um, so that's a little bit unfortunate if I'm a central Michigan fan. We'll have to keep a track of that and see where he ends up at his next stop. And then uh, to finish out uh, and round out the defense here, Sam, at defensive back, we got Bryce Cosby, uh, safety from Ball State, Willie Reed from Central Michigan, and then two representatives, or I'm sorry, uh, one each from Eastern and Western to round it out. We got Noski LaFleur from Eastern Michigan and then Bryson Gardner from uh, Western. Uh, see Bryce Cosby on there for Ball State. Uh, nice to see that, Sam. A little bit um, – Surprised we didn't see either one of uh, Ball State's corners uh, on this list, but but not, nonetheless, you can't argue with uh, Noski Lafleur and Bryson Garner. Um, they both had solid seasons up in uh, for for Eastern Michigan and Western Michigan, respectively. Yeah, I think a lot of people are familiar with Bryce Cosby and Willie Reed from Central Michigan and Ball State, respectively. Big big names known, but I think a lot of people will be shocked to hear the Noski Lafleur and Bryson Garner selection just because. They haven't really, they aren't too familiar with them. A little bit unknowns coming from the Mac, but uh, definitely well-deserving. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, this is a guy, a senior in Noski LaFleur, a senior from Louisiana, really had his best year uh, in in Ypsilanti this past season for the Falcons. So you love to see a guy work his whole career and, and have a good senior season, get the payoff. First team punter, Luke Elzinga from Central Michigan, who certainly had himself a good year. And then our all-Mac first team specialists, uh, kickoff return specialist. We have Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan and Justin Hall from Ball State. Both those guys are so electric with the ball in their hands. Sam, I, I don't think anyone will argue with those two. Yeah, it, it's it's a little bit odd to see the punter not in the first team specialist. I don't know. I don't know. It's just like a little bit yeah. like weird to see him in the offense, which or the defense, which I mean, he technically is part of the defense, but you really classify him as especially. It's it's just a, a little bit of rant I had, but yeah, I I don't think anybody can complain about the first team specialist. We know how just electric and how fast Wayne Eskridge is when he gets the ball. No one can disagree that just all had himself a year uh, kick returning for Ball State. So, yeah, and then Luke Elzinga, who we'll talk about later in my award ceremony, a little bit of spoiler there, uh, had himself a year as well. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So a solid, a solid group all around. I don't think either of us have too many uh, huge disagreements. Um, and the, the second and third team, we won't run through all of that uh, because there's obviously, you know, you, you can go online and, and, and take a look. I, one thing I will say, um, I do have to give a shout out. I was a little bit surprised that uh, that Preston Hutchinson wasn't given any type of recognition on e any of the, the teams. I think the, the third team offense quarterback is Caleb Ellaby from Western Michigan, which I certainly I it's I can't necessarily disagree with that. But I just think Preston Hutchinson had such a good year and was one of the bright spots for Eastern Michigan. I felt that he should have been included, um, but that's just me. I'm not going to argue too much with any of, of the selections that were made. I think the first team is really solid and uh, some, some, some great talent on this list. I'm excited to watch some of these guys uh, come back and play again next year. Yeah, no doubt. I'm with you. I think there was a little bit, uh, a few snubs here and there, but that's for you guys uh, to argue about on Twitter. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, moving moving on from that, uh, I think I think it's time to move into the championship game recap, Zach. We, we had a bit of a fun one coming out of Detroit. Oh, my goodness, Sam. I... Uh, couldn't believe I mean it was I mean I knew it was going to be a great game I knew it was going to be a great game it did not play out the, the way that I necessarily thought it would um wasn't a ton of defense in the first quarter I mean Buffalo came out and uh put up a quick touchdown Ball State answered Buffalo answered right back um I guess let me back up for a second for anyone that didn't get a chance to see the game Ball State did pull out the 38-28 upset over the Bulls um Ball State's defense really um, had probably what I would say was their best performance of the year, Sam, holding uh, Buffalo to 134 yards rushing on 29 attempts, well, well, well below their season average of, of 344 rush yards per game. Kyle Van Trees had a nice night, 29 for 42, 365 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Drew Plitt was 20 for 32, 273 yards, and three touchdowns. But, man, Sam, the, the story to me of this game was – the ball state defense. I mean, Buffalo, Buffalo came out in the first quarter on offense and, and had put a couple of nice drives together. But after that first quarter, Sam, this ball state defense really, really impressed me with their game plan, with their tackling, the way they were, they were really able to slow down the Buffalo rushing attack. Like nobody has so far this year. Yeah. I, I think, I think we need to set the stage though, that the expectations head into this game, I mean, we we I uh, I put a poll out there who was going to win this game, who who they thought was going to win, and eighty two percent said Buffalo. So that that tells you all you need to know. People obviously had high expectations for Buffalo, but when you look at the box score, I think it tells the whole story of your leading rusher of the game. Is it Kevin Marks? Isn't Jarrett Patterson? Is Ty Evans from Ball State? I think that's all you need to know. Ball State made the the game plan, the defensive game plan, like we we talked about how they need to force Kyle Van Trees to throw. He threw forty two times in this game, and I think that's what you need to know. Buffalo had never been in a situation of being down all season, and they they honestly weren't prepared. They didn't know how to figure it out. They didn't. They it just seemed like they they didn't know how to bounce back once they were down. Yeah, I, I agree, Sam. And whenever, when watching this game, you could tell that Buffalo had not been challenged all year, right? They, we talked about it last week. Every one of their games thus far this season, they're, they're, they never had to sweat. They never had to sweat in any one of their games. And so whenever Ball State got momentum in this game, like you said, Sam, you could tell that Buffalo really didn't know how to respond. And 
I think for me, the, the moment when this game, or I should say the time frame when this game really swung was in the last couple minutes of, of the first half, right? Ball State gets the ball there. It's tied at 21. Uh, Drew Plitt hits Jalen McGaugh for a 56-yard touchdown pass with a minute 30 left in the half. And then Buffalo gets the ball back three plays later. Kyle Vantrese fumbles. Christian Albright scoops it, scoops it up and runs 34 yards for a touchdown. So in the matter of 45 seconds of game time, it goes from 21-21 to 35-21 Ball State. And I think right then is when at that moment you could kind of tell Buffalo didn't know how to respond to that. You were wondering if they were going to come out in the third quarter and really, um, you know, have a, a better game plan after, you know, going in and making some halftime adjustments, but that really didn't happen. Ball State came out and scored first in the second half and it got to 38, 21. And after that, you know, Kevin Marks had that 67 yard touchdown run. But other than that, you never really got the sense that the Bulls were going to get back into this game. I mean, Ball State tried to give them a couple opportunities, you know, um, Drew Plitt threw that interception uh, on their, the Cardinals half of the field where you thought maybe Buffalo could take advantage of that and get some points, but they just couldn't put it together in the second half. And you got to give credit to Tyler Stockton and this defensive staff for Ball State. They did a phenomenal job, had a great game plan, and uh, Buffalo just wasn't able to respond to it. Yeah, I, I will say it was a little bit frustrating to watch Ball State not be able to cover the receivers playing like 20 yards off the line of scrimmage and watching Antonio Nunn just get 13 catches for 182 yards. I mean, the game plan did work essentially, but it was just frustrating to watch. But I've got to give a shout out to Jimmy Dahl for his performance in the game. Not only the blocked field goal, which kind of just switched momentum of this game, but also the sacks, he had the forced fumble that led to that Christian Albright uh, fumble return for a touchdown. You said he just had one heck of a game defensive MVP for this game, which he rightfully deserved. So, yeah, that, that's just my quick shout out. Yeah, no, and I, I agree with you completely, Sam. I agree with you completely. I mean, you look at Jimmy Daw, you know, seven tackles, three tackles for loss. Brandon Martin had uh, 13 tackles. Uh, Uzadinma had 10 tackles from his uh, – um, cornerback spot I mean the the defense on all levels really played well in this game and and you're right I mean Antonio Nunn did have himself quite a game 13 catches 182 yards but I think I think again it's one of those situations where if you're ball state you gotta kind of gotta pick your poison when you're playing Buffalo because you know even though that they have been so focused on running the ball this year they've been so successful running the ball this year Antonio Nunn's a heck of a receiver in his own right this is a guy who can, um, you know, he can do some things. He averages 16 yards per reception on the year, 535 yards receiving. So, you know, you knew this was a guy that could do some things. I think Ball State just opted to try more and, and stop the run game, which we talked about. They were going to have to give up something, you know, and um, I, but I think if, if you're Ball State, you, I think they executed their game plan about as well as they could. And first MAC title since 1996. Uh, it was really cool seeing uh, all the post-game stuff, watching that, that team and how excited they were. We've talked about it all year, Sam. They really came into the season with that Detroit or bust mantra, and uh, they lived it. K- kudos to them. They really came out, and they played, I don't think anyone question. I think they played by far their best game of the season on Friday night. No doubt. I don't think anybody, including myself, after watching that Western Michigan game, thought that Ball State had a chance, but Credit to them for coming and executing their game plan, I think, flawlessly as as well as you would hope. And now now it's uh, on to Arizona for Ball State. Buffalo's got that Montgomery game against Marshall, and those should be two fun bowl games to watch.
Yeah, no doubt at all. No doubt at all. I think uh, if I'm Ball State, like I said, the motivation there is they want to get that first bowl win in, in bowl history and or in, in program history. And uh, if I'm Buffalo, uh, I'm kind of feeling down on myself after that performance on Friday, looking for you kind of a bounce back spot for the Bulls here. I would expect them to come out motivated on Christmas Day against the Thundering Herd. No doubt. And uh, with that being said, we're going to move into our award ceremony. Uh, we're going to run through our coach of the year picks, offensive player of the year, uh, defensive player of the year, special teams player of the year, freshman of the year. Uh, yep, that's all of them. So, Zach, if you want to uh, break down your uh, coach of the year pick. Yeah, no, no problem. And this this might be a little bit obvious and it might seem like uh, just going with the, like the popular pick, but I'm going with Mike New on this one, Sam. And I know a lot of Ball State fans have been frustrated with the Cardinals progress over the last few years. You go back to the 2017 season, his second year in Muncie. This is a team that was two and 10, 0 and eight in the Mac, really did not like look competitive. And even last year, you know, after his uh, his fourth year in Muncie, he was five and seven, four and four. There were a lot of people that thought Mike New should uh, should get fired. Instead, uh, Beth Goats, the athletic director, gave him an extension, and and he rewarded Ball State with a six and one record and a MAC championship this year. It's been a it's been a long time coming for uh, for the Cardinals, but I think this is a situation where it's looking like the patience is going to pay off um, in Muncie because I think. Mike New, even though, as you said last week, sometimes you don't always feel good about the wins. Uh, they make it a little bit harder uh, than they probably should some weeks. They still found a way to get the job done. And this team played really a lot of really good football here over the last six weeks after losing that opener to Miami of Ohio. Yeah, no doubt. Mike New definitely deserving of the Coach of the Year uh, uh, award in your eyes. Um, uh, Lance Leipold actually won the uh, Mac Coach of the Year for any for any of you listeners wondering. Uh, for mine, I went with Tim Lester. I think for the simple fact that no one had Western Michigan doing a single thing this year. No, everybody counted them out. Uh, I believe they were fourth in the preseason poll. No one had high expectations for Western Michigan, and then they come out, put up a a respectable four and two record, high above expectations where one, one Ford pass away from potentially being in the MAC championship game. I think it's simple for the year that it, they just shocked everybody. I think Tim Lester's uh, uh, deserving of the coach of the year uh, award. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that, uh, Sam. I think especially when you look at the, the question marks that the, the Broncos had coming into the season, right? They didn't know who they're their starting quarterback was going to be. And they had a lot of um, a lot of just question marks in general on the offensive side of the ball. And he, he showed that, uh, you know, he, he had some young guys on the roster that had been developing and, and, you know, you gave you got to give a coach credit for that. Caleb Ellaby comes in as a sophomore, completes 65% of his passes, 18 touchdowns, two interceptions. I mean, that that's, that's coaching right there. That's, you know, developing the young talent that you get on your roster. So you got to give him credit for that. I think, Western Michigan as a program is in pretty good position moving forward. Obviously they're going to have to replace Dwayne Eskridge and some, some other, um, you know, athletic guys. But I think when you have young guys like Caleb Ellaby and some of the other young talent that they developed this year, I think if I'm a Broncos fan, I'm feeling pretty good about where the program's at moving forward. No doubt. And moving on to the offensive player of the year uh, in, in, in real life, uh, Jared Patterson won uh, the Mac uh, offensive player of the year award. I think rightfully deserving Zach, who did you have uh, winning the offensive player of the year in your mind? 
Yeah, you know, I'm going to go. I feel like when when you're looking at the numbers from this season, there's really only like two options, you know, for, for this award. It's either you're going with Jared Patterson or you're going to go with, with my guy here with Dustin Crum, right? I mean, these were two, the two best offensive players in the league, I think, this year. I mentioned uh, when we were talking about the first team All-Mac, Dustin Crum led the league in total offense this year. His passing numbers were great. Once again, completed 73.5% of his passes, uh, just under 1,200 yards, 12 touchdowns two interceptions, ran the ball 44 times for 240 yards. That's a 5.5 yards per uh, rush average and uh, four touchdowns rushing the ball as well. This is a guy that does it all, Sam. And this is a guy, you know, if he's, you know, he's announced that he's going to come back next year and utilize that extra year of eligibility because of uh, the, the pandemic this season. So I think Kent State fans are really excited to get one more year of him. Even if he's not going to have Isaiah McCoy to throw the ball to, still plenty of weapons around him there. Dustin Crum, he's going to be a problem moving forward. He's a problem again this year. I, I think he was uh, the best player on offense in the conference. I think you mentioned the two candidates perfectly at how it was going to be one or the other. I mean, you just, I think, I think what highlights it is the matchup that they had between each other, between Kent State and Buffalo. Obviously Buffalo won that game 70, 41, but Dustin Crum had over 400 yards that game, three touchdowns, a pick obviously, but still a solid game in uh, my mind. Everybody knows the game. Jared Patterson had 409 yards, eight touchdowns, but yeah, Dustin Crum, even even if they only finished uh, the year with uh, four games, unfortunately due to cancellations, Dustin Crum definitely deserving of at least a uh, finalist uh, award. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. I'm excited to watch him again next year. No doubt. I went with a little bit of, of the obvious one. I think Jared Patterson clearly deserves it the year he had. Uh, people are talking about an outside favor for the Heisman finalist. I think it's it's a kind of a um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just kind of uh, I can't think of the word I, I'm looking for, but just like uh, easy, easy choice. I, I don't know sure. the word I'm looking for. The obvious choice. Obvious choice. Yeah. Yeah, you can't go. I mean, I don't think you could go wrong with either of them. Uh, they they were they were both great. I think both um, were head and shoulders above above the competition this year for sure. No, no doubt. And then uh, moving on to the defensive player of the year award, uh, I think I think you've got a little bit of a surprise there at a defensive player of the year. Yeah, I I, I think I, I think you're right, Sam. And I, I actually I went with Bubba Arslanian, the linebacker from Akron. I was really surprised to not see him on the first team all defense um, this year. He was on the second team. I think maybe that had something to do with the, just the team success of Akron this year. Obviously they only went, you know, one in five, um, but Bubba Arslanian led the league in tackles this year with 72. He was tied for fifth in the conference in sacks. This is a really a guy who did it all. He's kind of the captain, if you will, of, of that Akron defense that um, really calls all the plays. And he's really that kind of stalwart in the middle of the defense there. He's coming back next year. He's only a junior. So again, uh, first in the conference in tackles, fifth in sacks. Um, this is a guy that had, had another great year. He's been very productive for a long time for uh, the Zips. So I think this is a guy finished the season, you know, his last four games, uh, with 15, 11, 16, and 13 tackles, respectively. So close out the year with four straight games of double-digit tackles. This is a guy that does everything on defense for the Zips, and I, I was really surprised that he wasn't first-team all-defense. 
Yeah, I, I am too there with you. Mine uh, was the same as what the Mac pronounce, uh, announced and Troy Harrison uh, the second. I think, I think this is an obvious choice. First in sacks with uh, five and a half, 34 uh, for 34 yards, just a really beast all around. Had eight uh, tackles for loss on the season, eight solo tackles for 51 yards. I mean, he's he's just an overall beast for that uh, defense line. We talk about how good that Central Michigan defensive line, and he is that reason. We talk about uh, his buddy on the defensive line transferring out, potentially going in the transfer portal. So next year, he's going to need to step up, and I think he can uh, definitely deliver. Yeah, I I agree with that. And like you said, led the league in sacks. Uh, was up there in, in tackles for loss as well. You, no, no surprise there. I think Sam, he, he's, a, he's a good choice. A uh, guy that kind of does, listen, similar to what I was saying about Bubba Arslanian for Akron, a guy that kind of does everything for that Central Michigan defense. And uh, yeah, he's, you know, one of those guys where he is a senior. Wonder if he'll, he'll utilize that extra year of eligibility and come back for, for another year with uh, the Chippewas next season. No doubt. And uh, for special teams player of the year, we've got Dwayne Eskridge winning the uh, Mac special teams player of the year uh, award winner. Uh, who do you have, Zach? You know, I actually, um, I went with a little bit of an alternative choice here as well. I went with Chad Ryland, the kicker from Eastern Michigan, uh, led the league in uh, field goals made this year. He was 11 for 13 on his field goals, 18 for 19 on extra points. Uh, both of those le- led the conference or I'm sorry, the, the field goals, he led the league in, in field goals made on 11 for 13. I think I wanted to give some love. You know, I, I felt like Eastern Michigan was a little bit underrepresented on uh, the, the all Mac teams and, and some of these awards. I felt like Chad Ryland of, of all the kickers in the Mac this year, I think he had uh, the, the best year in terms of volume and accuracy and stuff like that. So I'm, I went with Chad, uh, Chad Ryland, kicker from Eastern Michigan for my special teams player of the year. Yeah, Chad Ryland, definitely a good pick. I went with a punter this one. I'm a big for the brand guy, big Pat McAfee guy. I mean, Luke Elzinga had himself a had himself a year. 33 punts to lead all the Mac, 1,400 yards uh, of punting, uh, 10 fair catches, 14 inside the 20s, six in a 60, 50 plus, and as long of 76. 76 was his long punt of the year. Wow. I think Luke had himself a year for just the, the lack of disappointment on the Central Michigan offensive side of the ball. I think he he's definitely deserving. Yeah, I agree with that. And, um, you know, this is a guy as a, as a freshman, uh, he was the first team, first uh, Chippewa punter to earn first team all-conference honors since 1975. So um, certainly a, a, a nice um, – a nice accomplishment for him there. Like you said, um, had that 76 yarder versus Ohio second in the Mac in punting average, you know, if as, as a punter, typically when you're a fan of a team, you like to, you know, the less the punter gets to do his job, the better the offense is for the Chippewas this year with some up and ups and downs on offense. They had to lean on Luke Elzinga to flip the field for him. And he was usually able to do that. Yeah, no doubt. And moving on to freshman of the year. Uh, the, who do you have Zach? Yeah, sure. So this was a tough one for me. So I actually, I ended up agreeing with the official Mac choice on this one. I went with Lou Nichols, the third from, uh, from central Michigan. He was a, a, a bright spot for the Chippewas this year uh, as at the running back position, 78 carries for 508 yards and four touchdowns. Um, he really, I mean, ended the game, ended the year, the last three games of the season for him were his best three games, Eastern Michigan, Ball State and Toledo. Against Eastern Michigan, 29 carries for 196 yards and two touchdowns, and then finished the season 
uh, against Toledo, T 10 carries for 101 yards and a touchdown. So um, he, he had a heck of a year for the Chippewas. Honorable mention, I almost went with Terry on Stewart from Bowling Green, one of the few bright spots for the Falcons offense this year. He had 37 carries for 295 yards and also four touchdowns. He only got to play in three games though. So I think if you would have, you know, extrapolated his stats out over a six game season, I think I might've gone with him, but Lou Nichols just had him, you know, more, uh, more yards, uh, more attempts. I think he's going to be, um, he's going to be really good in the future. Both of these guys are going to be really good in the future for their respective programs. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you mentioned the two names you could have gone with. I went with a, I think, a little bit of a surprise. Uh, the MAC has had, uh, I think, a few solid freshmen uh, come in and show the the impact they had. I went with Curtis Rourke, and you might be uh, shocked and say, but I think what he showed in those few games he played for Ohio, um, uh, obviously we know the the cancellations they had was really was really a kind of bright spot for the Ohio offense moving forward. He, he had a battle, a solid starter in Armani Rogers, and for him to come out the way he did and just show his impact, fought, trying to follow in his brother's footsteps, Nathan Rourke, obviously the, the great Mac quarterback that he was. Curtis Rourke stepped in for those games, had himself a year, 30 for 44, 68% completion percentage, 386 uh, passing yard, three touchdowns, not to mention his uh, rushing yards, 14 carries for 17 yards, which isn't uh, very productive. But nonetheless, I think the impact that he showed just goes beyond the stat line and above the games uh, they played because now Ohio knows who their guy is moving forward. They've got him for three to four more years. I think he's the guy they can build around, and Ohio fans should definitely be happy with who they have. Yeah, I agree with that. I think if I'm Ohio, if I'm a Bobcats fan, I, I'm feel pretty comfortable that Curtis Rourke's going to be our quarterback for the next couple of seasons. Um, yeah, this is a guy who, you know, they, they didn't ask him to do a ton. This is a team that's going to run the ball mostly, and they know that their identity. But um, when you have a quarterback like that, the one thing that you want is for them to be efficient and don't turn the ball over, which he certainly did that. You, you mentioned he completed 68% of his passes. He threw three touchdowns and no interceptions. So those are great encouraging signs. If I'm a Bobcats fan moving forward that I think next year in a full season as Curtis Rourke's role in the offense expands, um, you'd like to think that he'll be ready for that and be able to handle that based on what you saw from him this year. No doubt. And before we move on, is there anything um, final you'd like to add, Zach? No, I don't think so. I think um, it was a great year of Mac football. Uh, obviously, we didn't get to see as many games as we would have liked, ideally, under normal circumstances. But I think uh, we, we got some great games, some great performances. And I, I feel pretty good about our, our picks here for the end of the year awards and stuff like that. Uh, put, puts a nice bow on a fun season. And, and with that being said, we're going to move into our recruiting news. So what we're going to do for this segment, there's a lot of recruits to get to. So we're just going to talk about briefly of the, the MAC football team rankings. If you want to check out each one you can on 24-7 sports, we're going to sprinkle, sprinkle in recruiting news throughout the offseason. But for now, we're just going to focus on kind of the teams in general. So, Zach, if you want to um, touch on uh, the recruiting news. Yeah, sure. So um, for anyone that doesn't know, last Wednesday was uh, the early national signing, the early um, recruiting period came to a close. So, um, you know, recruits can commit and then the, the, the official signing day still happens in February. So classes will be finalized by February. Some Mac schools here 
um, have have finalized their classes already, but not quite all of them. There's there's still a lot of recruiting to be done. Still a lot of recruiting going on. But in terms of the early signing period that just happened and just finished up this past week, um, I don't think it's any surprise here, Sam, that Toledo did finish at the top of the MAC. Uh, they had 24 commits in this class, 20 of those being three stars. Uh, we've talked in the past. We know Jason Candle's a good recruiter. He consistently gets recruiting classes at the top of the MAC. It's going to be see. Uh, we're going to have to see how he's able to de develop these kids once they get on campus. Um, following up Toledo at the top, we had Miami of Ohio in second. Uh, they had 21 commits with 18 of those being three stars. Central Michigan in third with 24 overall and 17 three stars. Uh, Northern Illinois came in fourth. Uh, they actually had the biggest class uh, of the early signing period with 26 commits, 19 of those being three stars. Buffalo with 17 commits, 15 three stars. Uh, Western Michigan in sixth with 19 overall commits and 16 three stars. Ball State in seventh with 20 commits, 14 three stars. Uh, Bowling Green in eighth, Eastern Michigan in ninth, Ohio in 10th, Kent State in 11th, Akron in 12th. Um, Akron with 17 commits, only two of those being three stars. So um, I don't think that's any surprise. I think Tom Arth still having to, to fight some battles on the recruiting trail in terms of the perception of the Zips program, though I think they're certainly moving in the right direction. Um, so yes, yeah, Sam, I think I don't think it's any surprise to see Toledo at the top of the MAC. Um, anything here that, that stood out to you? I mean, we, we talk about the Northern Illinois youth and that they're adding 26 commits has to be a big one. Them being fourth uh, in the MAC uh, is definitely a big one. I, 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 but I think a quick thing to know is that these recruiting class numbers don't really mean a whole lot when it comes down sure. to it. Like Toledo can be the number one for 10 straight years, but if they don't do anything with the recruits or if you could find a, 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 a diamond in the rough, if you want to call it like uh, Akron could possibly do with only 17 commits, these recruiting class numbers don't mean a whole lot. It's how you use these athletes and it's what you do with them essentially that matters. So it's good that these programs can have a whole lot of uh, great recruiting success, but it doesn't mean a whole lot if come season they don't show up. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely, Sam. I think recruiting is only half the battle. Second half of that is what can you do with these kids once they get onto campus? Um, I, I do want to give, uh, you know, a couple highlights here, a couple shout outs to um, a couple Mac schools here that went out and, and found some guys that had power five offers and still got them to commit. You mentioned Northern Illinois um, with, you know, their youth and their continued youth movement. They had 26 commits in this class. Um, which is, is the most of any of these Mac schools. Well, the, the highest rated recruit in that class was running back Ontario Brown, who's from Savannah, Georgia. So the, the Huskies go down south to an area that they don't recruit very often, and they grab this three-star recruit. This is a guy uh, who was the uh, 57th ranked player in the state of Georgia last year. He had offers from South Carolina, NC State, Virginia Tech, and West Virginia, and he picked the Huskies over all four of those schools. So I think that's a very, very good get for Coach Thomas Hammock and the Huskies. I also wanted to um, highlight uh, Trenton Atkins, who was the highest rated recruit in Toledo's, um, in Toledo's class. He, he is from the, uh, the Virginia area. 
And this is another guy. He's a wide receiver. He had offers from Arizona State, Maryland, North Carolina, Penn State, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia. I mean, this is a guy with a long list of Power Five offers. So uh, for, for Jason Candle to be able to go down there and get a guy of his caliber that's that highly regarded, you've got to think Rocket fans are pretty excited about that. Yeah, no doubt. And a quick, I, I think I think uh, for uh, my little Ball State bias here, that Ball State had a a kind of um, good class. I don't think that twenty four seven Sports putting a lot of respect on their name. They got the third, fourth uh, highest recruits in Keel Kelly and Rico Barfield in this class. They already have Jalen McGahee. We've seen uh, for this past class, but yeah, I think Ball State had a really solid class that. A lot of people aren't talking about. They grabbed a lot of three stars, grabbed a lot of uh, good guys that I think will make a definite impact for this. Program. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you meant, you know, you mentioned Kyle Kelly. Uh, they went down to Florida and got him out of the Tampa area. Um, this is a guy, again, you look at his list of offers. I mean, Illinois, Indiana, Syracuse, Coastal Carolina, who was ranked this entire year this year. I think. When those are the types of recruiting battles that if you're a Mac team and you can win some of those battles every year, you got a pretty good chance to be successful. And I, one of the things as I was looking at each one of these classes, something that kind of struck me, Sam, was that how many of these schools were able to go outside of their normal recruiting footprint and have success. We're talking about Kyle Kelly coming from Florida, going up to Ball State, the um, Northern Illinois is able to get some guys from, from Georgia and Florida. Kent State seems to have kind of found some momentum. They, they seem to get a lot of guys from the Atlanta area as well. So it's really cool to see these MAC schools and, and where they go to recruit. It's not just Ohio and Pennsylvania and Michigan and Indiana. I mean, these schools are able to go out into other areas, whether it be down south or to Texas or out west, and they're able to get some guys, uh, whether it be in the transfer market or from high school. And I think that's something as a Mac fan, that's encouraging to see. I think so. I think I think this might this could uh, this could be totally wrong, but this could be a potential movement for the future. We see these uh, 2021 guys all the like outside the recruiting markets, as you mentioned. And I think a lot of these athletes are seeing names like Max Crosby, like Willie Sneeds, like these Mac schools, uh, Deontay Johnson, just be able to just ball out in the Mac. Uh, Kareem Hunt, another example, just be able to ball out, uh, get drafted. And, and I think it's showing that you don't have to go to a Power 5 school anymore to have your name known. And I think that's encouraging signs for the yeah, Mac. I agree completely. I agree completely. Especially when you're going into areas like Atlanta, where everyone in the country goes to recruit, right? I think about, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Kent State's recruiting class right now. One of the guys they pulled out of Atlanta uh, was uh, a cornerback, Emon Hill, uh, who's a, a three-star cornerback recruit. I mean, this is a guy with offers from Louisville, Ole Miss, Florida State, Coastal Carolina, um, Washington State. I mean, when was the last time you saw a recruit that has offers from Florida State and Ole Miss and Louisville and he picks a Mac school? I mean, that's a heck of a win for Sean Lewis. So yeah, it, it, it is cool. Um, like you mentioned, I think the Mac has had a lot of very visible players go on to have success in the NFL here over the last decade or so. And um, I think that's certainly you know, a benefit on the recruiting trail as evidenced by some of these guys that they're able to get. Yeah, no doubt. And and with that being said, we're going to move on to some basketball uh, talk. Uh, Zach, we had, we had a, we have a lot of basketball to talk about. A lot of uh, games being played. Yeah, we are. And uh, you know, uh, conference play is really in in full swing now on on both sides of the fence. 
Uh, I know on the men's side of things, uh, there were three MAC games yesterday. Right now, Sam, uh, Ball State sitting at two and zero atop the conference, uh, tied with Toledo, uh, both at two and zero. The Rockets have played more games than anyone in the conference. They're sitting at seven and three. Uh, Ball State is uh, four and three right now. Both of those two teams won yesterday. Ball State uh, pulling out the victory in Kalamazoo over Western Michigan, and uh, Toledo getting the victory at home over Northern Illinois. Uh, Bowling Green and Akron. Uh, both sitting at 1-0 in the conference as well. Akron got their first conference win yesterday against Ohio. Western Michigan and Buffalo sitting at 1-1 in the middle of the conference. Uh, Kent State has yet to play a conference game. They're 3-1 uh, they're, uh, overall. Their first conference game was supposed to be against Akron this past Saturday, but it got postponed because of COVID issues within the Kent State program. So um, we think they'll, they'll, they'll be getting back onto the court here probably within the next week or so for practice. And then you got Ohio, Central Michigan, Miami, and Eastern Michigan at 0-1 in the league. Northern Illinois sitting at the very bottom at 0-2 in, uh, in conference play and 1-6 overall. Um, so like I said, Sam, three games yesterday afternoon that I got the chance to watch a little bit of. I don't know if you caught them, but um, to, looks like Akron and, and uh, Toledo – they, they, they've got solid squads. Ball State looked good as well. They kind of turned it on after halftime against Western Michigan yesterday. Yeah, I want, I want to talk, talk about Toledo. Man, they, they're starting to make me buy in into this team after having some early struggles, having losses against Bradley, who we saw almost uh, upset Missouri yesterday. I watched the end of that game. That was a fun game to watch there. Uh, Xavier lost. But now that they're starting to rattle off four straight wins, they're starting to make me buy into this team as actually for real. They have wins against Marshall, the Valparaiso, they, and then they just beat Northern Illinois by 23. So Toledo's looking really strong uh, these past uh, few weeks. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and when I watch Toledo play, it's really the, the guard play of them, uh, of the Rockets, is really, really good with Spencer Littleson and, and Marion Jackson and, and Ryan Rollins. Ryan Rollins is a freshman and he looks really, really good for the Rockets thus far. He's averaging 13.8 points a game and six rebounds. Um, those three guys really kind of led the way for the Rockets yesterday against, uh, against Northern Illinois. So I think the guards of, uh, of Toledo could go up against anyone in the conference and they're going to need a little bit more from, from their big men. I think, um, you know, uh, Milner for them, uh, Cedric Milner. Uh, he had a, a decent game and he's averaging about 14 points a night. Uh, he, he needs to be a little bit more consistent. I think their, their big men, um, you know, need to, to give them a little bit more, but the guard play for Toledo is really good right now. On the other side of the fence here, it looks like it's going to be a long season for, for Northern Illinois. Not much uh, good coming out of the Calb right now, as far as the basketball program, they were one for 15, uh, from the field yesterday or from three point range yesterday against Toledo. I think the other team that I'm a little bit concerned about right now, Sam is Ohio. Um, you know, watch them play Akron yesterday and Ohio just, you never really got a sense that they were in this game. You know, they were down 10 points at halftime and then Akron came out in the second half and really continued to pull away. I think after watching that almost, you know, they, they had that near miss at Illinois a couple weeks ago to open the season. And I think that may have inflated our expectations of the Bobcats a little bit, but it seems like they may have come back to earth here a little bit over the last week or two. Yeah, you you mentioned they they kind of, they kind of are like the opposite of Toledo right now. They had a really strong uh, outcoming. They had that Cleveland State one where they had that forty to zero run. That Illinois game you mentioned, 
and then they've just kind of come back to earth a little bit. They, I, I think they had to prove themselves against Akron, and they just couldn't get it done if we wanted to actually buy into this team. Uh, uh, Akron was just the better team all around, went by 20. They just had themselves a day. All They had uh, multiple people in um, over uh, 20 points. Both uh, Lorian Jackson and uh, Tremble Jr. had themselves a day, and Daly almost had over 20 points. Yeah, I think I think Ohio as as good as they had to start the season has just slowly come back to earth to where I think they're just like where they where they should be. Yeah, and and I think the thing that's concerning to me if I'm a Bobcats fan is the defense and you know, Ohio uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Akron yesterday shot 63% from the field. 56% from three-point range, 14 for 25. Now, part of that is that Akron was just knocking down shots yesterday, but I was watching this game. Akron was getting wide-open looks, pretty much whatever they wanted, pretty much the entire game. So if you're going to give teams wide-open looks, they're going to hit 63% of their shots. They're, they're ten, you know, they, they very well may continue to hit 50-plus percent of their three-point shots. So Ohio really, I think, has some things that they need to tighten up on uh, on the defensive end and one other game that i wanted to mention real quick here sam before we move on to the women's side of things is uh buffalo had an opportunity to go get a, a signature non-conference victory this past weekend on saturday they traveled down to the carrier dome to take on syracuse the bulls were up by 11 points at halftime in this game and they ended up they just let this one slip away in the second half syracuse came back and tied it and then ended up winning that game in overtime 107 to 96. Um, it was, I mean, it was a heck of a game for the Bulls, though. Um, they were let, Josh and Bala came off the bench for them and had 27 points. Uh, Jonathan, um, or I'm sorry, Javon Graves also had himself a good night with 22 points, eight rebounds, and seven assists for the Bulls. This was one, though, Sam, that it felt like this was going to be the, the, the opportunity for a MAC team to get a solid signature non conference victory, and the Bulls just couldn't pull it out at the end of regulation. Yeah, when you let uh, Syracuse score 50 points in the second half, which they're not normally an offensive team by any means, yeah. that's yeah. that's probably not going to let you get the job done. I mean, we all know how good Syracuse is with Jim Beheim as their coach. Always somehow is a Final Four team, even though they don't look like a Final Four team. Always happens with that 2-3 zone. Just happened. Yeah, as you mentioned, look like uh, Buffalo's chance to win. Solid first half, you go up by 11 into halftime, and then you just let things slip away. Uh, you go into overtime, and then you just look lackluster in overtime. Let uh, Syracuse outscore you 20 to 9. And yeah, you had you had a chance for a solid, solid win against a 6 and 1 Syracuse, but they just couldn't get it done. Yeah, they, they couldn't. And, and with that, that really, like I mentioned, that was kind of the, the last opportunity that, uh, that we were going to have here. Um, for a MAC team to potentially get, you know, a, a nice non-conference victory. You look at um, coming up here. No more, uh, no more games for MAC teams coming up until uh, Tuesday, the 29th. We've got a couple of uh, conference games. Ohio plays Miami, Ohio. Central Michigan plays Eastern Michigan. And then actually, Buffalo does have one more marquee opportunity here to get a non-conference victory. They're going to travel to Morgantown and take on. Uh, number seven, West Virginia on Tuesday, December 29th at two o'clock. So potentially another opportunity there for the Bulls. And then once we get past the new year, then we're going to get in the full swing of uh, conference play on the on the men's side. Uh, no doubt. And uh, moving on to the women's side, 
We we had three games this past week that could have been potential upsets, but unfortunately, all three MAC teams just couldn't get it done. Yeah, well, and we'll start with those games, Sam, because you're right. I did really want to touch on that, and it's too bad because we've talked a lot about how there's limited opportunities for non-conference, you know, signature victories this year, and a couple more that just kind of slipped through uh, MAC programs' fingers. We'll start with Central Michigan. We've talked. Uh, about Central Michigan on this show a lot, Sam, how, you know, they've come out at the beginning of the season and really kind of established themselves as, as one of the best teams in the conference. They went to uh, East Lansing to take on uh, Michigan State on the, this past Friday. Um, they were down by one point at halftime. They actually led by two points going into the fourth quarter and Michigan State pulled away in that fourth quarter and ended up winning that game 79 to 70. But this was ga- this game was close. Uh, from from start to finish for the Chippewas. Uh, um, Kelly had 26 points to lead all scorers. Uh, they had four players in double figures here, Sam. And I think that balance really speaks to why the Chippewas are going to be so tough to beat in conference play this year. You would have loved to see him get up, go up and get a victory against the Spartans, though. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I don't think anybody's surprised with how good Central Michigan was challenging a uh, a undefeated uh, Michigan State team who with uh, that win goes to 5-0. and I don't think we're shocked by the uh, performance that Central Michigan women's uh, basketball had. We all know how good they are, how good they, they will become conference play. But one, uh, one uh, team I want to talk about before we move on to the non-conference is the conference and how – just how's how shocked I am at how good Buffalo has been uh, uh, been playing. We talk a lot about the men's and we we know how good Buffalo, um, the men, men's side of basketball is. The women's came out and shocked the world, putting up 20 on Western Michigan, winning 87 to 66, really making their name known, sending a message to the rest of the MAC conference saying, we're here to play. And I think we, we may have to watch out for the, the Buffalo uh, basketball. Yeah, I agree completely. This is a team, you know, they they had a, a couple of close losses. Um, they went on the road to Purdue uh, and hung with the Boilermakers. That was a tough loss for them. But I, I agree with you. This is a team that's really uh, established themselves at the beginning of the year, 2-0 in the conference, 5-2 and overall. We've got four teams at the top of the conference right now that are 2-0, and uh, Sam. Buffalo, Central Michigan, Kent State, Bowling Green, all looking really good thus far. Bowling Green, 2-0 and overall, 6-1. and Their only loss was to that same Purdue team who uh, they, they gave all that they could handle to. 79-73 was the final score in that one. I'm really excited to see. Like, we've talked about this, and I feel like I say this every week, but on both sides of the fence here, both men's and women's, we got, you know, three or four programs that feel like they have a legitimate shot to win this thing. And I think, like I said, here on the women's side, I think, Bowling Green, Buffalo, Central Michigan, Kent State, I think are all going to be there at the end of the year. We've also, we can't forget about Ohio either. They're one and one in the conference, but they have that um, that non-conference victory against Notre Dame. So um, there's a lot of good teams, a lot of talent here in the MAC this year. Uh, no doubt. I, I'm looking at the standings right now, and there's only three teams below 500 in the women's side of things. So from top to bottom, it's not going to be any easy victories from um, for the on the women's side of the ball from from Bowling Green all the way down to Akron, potentially Northern Illinois to Western Michigan. If they can uh, bounce back this season, it's going to be really tough sledding come the MAC time. And yeah, Zach, is there any uh, final games you want to mention? You know, I also wanted to give a shout out to uh, to Eastern Michigan. 
Um, they had an opportunity last week in Las Vegas. They took on number 25, Gonzaga. The, uh, the Eagles ended up losing the game 77 to 68, but uh, it was another one of those uh, things where they, they hung with a top 25 team. They were there all game. They were down by seven at halftime, uh, fought back a little bit in the fourth quarter and um, just couldn't quite get home, couldn't quite get back over the top there. But still, they gave uh, the Bulldogs all that they could handle. I mean, this is a team that they're similar to what we were talking about with Toledo on the men's side of with Eastern Michigan, great guards. If they're, if their bigs can, can step up a little bit, I think they're going to be a problem. This is a team, you know, you lose by nine points against Gonzaga, a top 25 team, and you get out rebounded in that game, 49 to 27. I mean, that is a heck of a disadvantage on the glass. So if they can get a little bit better defensively and on the boards, I think this Eastern Michigan team is going to be one to watch out for as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it was impressive. They had two people combined for 51 of their uh, 68 points. So I think you need to see a little bit more balance out of Eastern Michigan if they wanted to get things done. But definitely, if you have two players put up 51 points against a top 25 team, that's definitely impressive coming from Eastern Michigan. Yeah, no doubt. And then one other, um, one other game that I wanted to mention just in terms of, you know, premier non-conference matchups. I mentioned Ohio, right? They already have that signature victory against Notre Dame under their belt. Well, they had a chance to pick up one more um, on over this past weekend. They went down to uh, Morgantown and took on West Virginia. Ohio was actually up by 12 points at halftime in this game. Ended up losing, though, 88 to 79 to the Mountaineers. Ohio just really um, went ice cold in the second half. West Virginia picked it up a little bit. Uh, Bobcats, though, the issue here was not scoring. Like I said, they put up 79 points. They shot 45% from the field, allowed uh, West Virginia, unfortunately, to shoot 53% from the field, though. So Ohio, a chance at another non signature non-conference victory. Unfortunately, they weren't able to pick it up. But nonetheless, if I'm Ohio, I'm 3-2 and two right now, 2-0 and oh in the conference, or I'm sorry, 1-1 one and one in the conference. My only loss is at Kent State, who's one of the four 2-0 and o teams, and they only lost that game by four points. So I think Ohio's another one of those teams. They're 1-1 one one in the conference right now, but they're going to be there at the end of the year for sure. Yeah, for sure. They've got two players who were named to the preseason uh, first team all listen, Erica Johnson, CC Hooks, who had uh, who combined for 56 points against this West Virginia team. You mentioned their two losses, one, as we're mentioning right now, to the solid West Virginia team and the other to that Kent State team barely. I, I think Ohio, despite the record three and two, you have to be feeling good about yourself. They're going to be a contender. And I think, as we mentioned again, from top to bottom, Mac women's basketball, it's going to be tough this year. Yeah, it certainly is. And um, they jump back into conference play here on uh, Saturday, January 2nd, once we get past the new year. You want to talk about good matchups on that day, Sam? Well, we're talking about this Ohio team. Central Michigan travels to Athens to take on Ohio on Saturday, January 2nd. That'll be a big game for both teams there. Uh, we got a full slate of games on women's basketball on that Saturday, uh, January 2nd. Kent State's taking on Eastern Michigan, Western Michigan at Northern Illinois, Akron at Toledo, Bowling Green at Ball State, and Buffalo at Miami of Ohio. So um, a little bit of a, a slow uh, next week in the MAC for on both sides, on men's and women's. But that, that first weekend after the new year, Saturday, January 2nd, conference play kicks off in earnest and we're going to, it's going to be kind of a sprint to the finish line from there. And with that being said, I think that's going to wrap up for another episode, uh, Mac bandwagon episode 
25. I can't believe we're already uh, 25 episodes in. Seems like it's been flying by ever since. Zach, is there any uh, final thoughts on this episode? No, I don't think so, man. Uh, um, it's been great. I can't believe this is the 25th episode already. We're, what, a quarter of a way to 100. Um, it's, you know, it's been great these last couple of weeks getting to talk about football. Love that we're getting to talk a little bit more about basketball now. We're excited for hoops uh, to, to keep rolling. Um, I'm just, you know, this is a great time of the year. Hope everyone has a, a happy holiday season with their families. Hopefully they get a chance to relax and overeat and watch some sports and enjoy it, you know? Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, again, as Zach mentioned, uh, happy holidays to everybody. Hope you have a safe and uh, happy holidays with your uh, family, uh, being that it is Christmas time. Uh, yeah, again, just to echo last episode, we are an official SB Nation approved podcast. So thank you guys for the support. You could check us out on not only the uh, no, our normal uh, sites that you can find us on, but also on SBNation.com can find us there so uh shout out to you guys once again for the support keep following us on twitter at mac underscore bandwagon keep growing this podcast keep growing this bandwagon we we want everybody to be involved in this podcast so yeah again um yeah i hope you guys did enjoy this podcast and we will uh talk to you guys next friday peace